you know. They seem to. I, have you ever hung out with them? I, I, I have to tell you that I have a guilty pleasure. I like to see how many topics they know everything about. You know, and and so I'll bring up another topic. And, or have you ever listened to a know-it-all and realized they don't know it all? <laughs> in fact, they have no idea what they're even talking about. Peter wants us to be know-it-alls. He really does. This is the last book that Peter will ever write. He's in jail. Nero. You've heard of Nero before. Nero is the emperor at the time. At some point, Peter eventually will be crucified. And that's how they will martyr him. But Peter, out of his love for his Lord, will ask to be crucified upside down because he doesn't feel like he's worthy to die the same way Jesus Christ died for him. And in these last days, because he's anticipating his death because Jesus had predicted that he would die this way, he is, he is passionately talking in a second letter to a group of people that he really loves. And, and, and his big idea is he just wants them to be know-it-alls. He goes, May the grace and peace of God multiply in you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to be a know-it-all about a lot of different things. The thing that he wants you to be a know-it-all about is he wants you, he wanted the people in, in Asia that he was speaking to, he wanted them to be know-it-alls, and he wanted them to be a know-it-all about one specific topic. And that topic was the knowledge of God. You know, our oldest son has a form of autism called Asperger. And one of the things that's true of someone that has Asperger is they have this incredible ability to focus and to learn something and all the details about that thing at a level that the rest of us do not have an understanding of. And I know how excited he is to be back to the ski jumps. He just got his job back at the ski jumps. And one of the things that Stephen is a know-it-all about is he knows about every single ski jump in the whole world and all the details of those ski jumps. And when he first got that job and he was first working the elevator, he would often get tips because he knew so very much. They didn't understand that we had the same conversation every evening. But there was a sense that he was a know-it-all. And, and, and that's what God is asking of us. He says, I want you to be a know-it-all. I want you to have a deep, deep understanding of who Jesus Christ it is. And so as we take a look at this book of Second Peter, you're going to see the word knowledge maybe a dozen times. Because he comes back to this idea over and over again. He realized in his life 
that the decisions he made and the mistakes he made were often when he made assumptions about who God was instead of really knowing who God was. He wanted them to have this deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. The idea is to really know God, which is interesting. That's also our first core value as a church. Our first core value as a church is that we we want you to have a deep, intimate relationship with God so that your circumstances no longer are forming what you think about God, but that God is forming what you think about every single circumstance in your life. Every crisis that you come through, every challenge that you have, because you have a deep knowledge of God. Let's just read the passage together. We're in 2 Peter. We're starting in chapter 1, verse 2. May the grace of God, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His glory and excellence, by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of, of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For it is these for as these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be richly for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by the way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. You see the message? Do you see his heart? He, he realized that they needed the knowledge and that that knowledge would affect how they lived. And a lack of knowledge would also affect how they lived. I, I love the idea that he said they were so nearsighted that they were blind. you know who he's describing there? He's describing the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, they believe, was a very nearsighted man. So he squinted all the time and he could barely see. 
But you've had that experience before. You've watched people who struggle with sight, and so they are trying so hard to see. So let's take a look at this. So the goal is to know God. And so he starts here and he says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Think about this. God has given us the power so that we have everything that we need. Okay? And and we've got to start thinking that. In fact, you should probably underline all things that pertain to life there. Because occasionally, I even say it in conversation, and I probably shouldn't, is I'll be talking to somebody about an issue and I say, boy, wouldn't it be nice if the Bible spoke specifically to that? But it does. If we take a look at God's Word and what it's teaching us, there's no subject at all that, that, that we're going through that God can't give us help in that. And it says that His divine power has granted us. Think about that. His divine power has granted us the ability to know how to handle life. So we need to know His power. And it says, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Okay? This is really interesting because God's Word over and over again is challenging us to be holy like what? He is holy. It's calling us into this idea. It's saying, this is who I am. And not only that, but I'd like you to be like me. I I created you in my own image so that you can emulate who I am. You know, we live in a world where we're constantly giving people an excuse because of some deficit they have for why they don't have to behave rightly, right? From, from diagnosis we give children to, to things that touch people's life, people are always looking for an excuse to not live at another level. I, when I think of our oldest son and, him, and, and finding out that he had Asperger's when he was 16, sometimes I'm thankful I didn't know sooner. Do you know Why? It might have been an excuse to not expect them to become a man of integrity and moral character. Well, you know, he has that. He he can't, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? There is this sense that God is calling us, think about this, He is calling us to know who He is so we can be like Him. But if we don't know who He is, we can't be like him. It's kind of like the guy who says he's an Elvis impersonator, but he's never heard Elvis. Doesn't work, does it? Well, I think Elvis kind of sounds like this. Uh, some of us, uh, he's calling us to live a life that is godly. He's calling us to godliness. But we can't do that if we don't know who he is and we wouldn't know how he reacts to a situation. We have to know His character. We have to know His promises by which He's granted us precious and very great promises. We've got to know what He says. You know? I I was thinking the other day about an issue in my life and immediately 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 came to mind. It says, No temptation comes upon you, but that is common to man, and God will always create an escape. That's not a promise that I needed to know. Instead of saying, oh, I didn't know what to do. 
I just kept on sinning. You know? We need to know His promises. In fact, we need to probably write them down. We need to remind ourselves of them. Are there certain days that it probably would be wise for us to wake up and remind us of just a couple promises? What God said? We need to know His promises. So that through them you may become, you may become partakers in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. <laughs> I, I took a look at this phrase and I was just saying, okay, at the beginning it says he has divine power. And now all of a sudden we're talking about his divine nature and it says that we can be partakers of God's nature. Isn't that? You know, today we have all these funky kind of religions and people talk about, I'm trying to become divine, you know? And, and we have all these different makeups that we can wear there so I can look divine, you know? But think about this. God's calling us to be divine, to be like Him. Why did you do that yesterday, Jim? Just trying to be divine. Just trying to partake in God's divine nature. I, originally, the title for this slide was Live Divine. And I was like, I, I feel a little uncomfortable with that title. But we are supposed to be partakers of His divine nature. And so when people look at us instead of saying, I, I see you, they say, I see God. Well, this is probably a part of what it means to manifest or magnify the Lord, doesn't it? It's to be a partaker. Because why? Because we've escaped the corruption that is in this world because of sinful nature. You know, I, I don't know about you, but occasionally on television, people are so surprised that people sin. Have you noticed that? You know? That's what the news is about over and over again. Think about it. The news is about people being surprised that people sin. And then they say, we're never going to let people, this is what they're really saying, we're never going to let people sin again, so we're going to take away their guns. We're never going to let people sin again, so we're going to do this. And we're going to create this law, and we're going to do all these kinds of things. And you know what? They create all kinds of laws. And they create all kinds of regulations, and people still sin. You know? They tell people, you should be honest in business. And what do people still do? They still cheat, don't they? They tell people, this is the law, and this is how fast you should drive your car. And people still speed, don't they? They put little signs and they create laws that say, wear your seatbelt. And what happens to people? They still don't wear their seatbelt. Do you see the point here? But all of a sudden, because of Jesus Christ, we can escape that. We all of a sudden have an option that we didn't have before. And even when we don't take it, the Holy Spirit convicts us and says, you could have been divine. But no. You decided to be sinful. Think about that. God is, is calling us to enjoy being like Him. 
We get to live as partakers of God's divine nature. For this reason, make every effort to supplement, okay? Or, or to add to, okay? This is really important because some people will read these verses and say, if I do these things, then I'm a Christian. If I do these things, then I'm acceptable to God. And that's not how it works because we're, our, our relationship with God is not based on works, is it? We're saved by faith. And so we're wanting to add some things to this thing that we already have. Because we are already saved, we get the opportunity to be divine. And it gives a list of several things. It says, we want you to add to your faith virtue. Not a word that we use very often anymore, but this is about our, our being a moral person. Okay, So I want you to add to your faith the fact that you're a person that does the right thing. That you live righteously. Okay, So I want you to add to that. And I want you to add to your righteousness. I want you to add knowledge. Okay, I can remember as a youth pastor in our first church teaching kids um, about, about simple things in relationships. And I can remember that these kids really had never had a youth group before, and some of them hadn't had much Bible training before. And we were talking about relationships, and I I made this reality. I said, the reality is, as you read God's Word, knowledge, it says that God wants you to save yourself physically for marriage. And one of the kids raised their hand and said, what does that mean? And I said, well, what that means is that the only person that the God ever wants you to have a physical, intimate relationship with is the person that you married. And one of the girls started weeping. Nobody taught me this. Really? That's what God wants? And I was like, oh my. You know, there's things that we have to learn. Not everybody grew up in the church and so there is a sense that we have to learn. It's just, but it's, it's no different than anything else. When I got married, there was a lot I had to learn about being married, right? And so I had to t- add knowledge to that. And some of the best knowledge I had is I talked to guys who were married. And mainly the thing that I learned from them was things not to do. Do you have any advice for me? Oh, don't do this. Don't do that. So I had this whole list. That's what God's Word is full of at times. You want to love Jesus really well? Don't do these things, right? You want to have a great relationship with God? These are the things you should do. You know? There was a guy, I, I still thank him. His name was Brian Bill, and about two days after we got engaged, he came up to me and he says, Jim, I have been married for a year and a half, and I would like to meet with you every other week and teach you what I'm learning. Are you in? Oh, Yeah. And you know what's so funny? Some of the things that I teach in premarital counseling to couples getting married today, do you know where I learned them from? Brian Bill. And so there is a sense that we, we, to add to our moral character and our, our sense of doing what is right, we have to have knowledge partially so we know what it's right. But do you know what? More than that, I love God's Word for this reason. It doesn't just tell me what's right. It tells me why it's right. 
If you read in God's Word, more often than not, you, you just learn why things are right, don't you? God is logical and makes a lot of sense. And it says, so then you add to your knowledge with self-control. Well, that's a little bit more virtue, isn't it? That's what you're adding. And to your self-control, you add steadfastness or perseverance, which means that you've had self-control for a while instead of for once, you know. And to your steadfastness, you add godliness. And what is godliness? That means to be like God. And to your godliness, you add brotherly affection or kindness. You know, there's a reality that's really kind of interesting that if we included God in every relationship or thought that we have about other people, it might change a little bit. I would never sit down with a mother and tell her that her kid's an idiot. I wouldn't. But on a regular basis in my head, I think people are kind of dumb. But if I included that in a conversation with God, what I'm really ending up saying without even realizing it is this. God, why did you make such dumb people? Why can't everybody be smarter? You know, there are things that go on in our heads that instead of giving people kindness because they are created by God and we've received great knowledge, we realize we've received great knowledge, so therefore we've received great kindness, so therefore we give great kindness. You see how it works? He's saying, I want you to relationally be different because you are the Lord's. Your knowledge of your relationship with the Lord and how He feels about you and how He feels about His other creation will give you a kindness that you did not have. Ever. And to your brotherly affection, I want you to have love. He goes on in the next verse and he says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of God. See, here's the thing about the knowledge of God that's really interesting. If the knowledge of God doesn't affect affect how we practice, then it is not meaningful. The knowledge of God has to change how we live. If it doesn't change how we live, then it's not fruitful and it's not effective. When I was in third grade, Mr. Smith was our health teacher. And we had these film strips that we would watch. And the one I remember, the only one I remember, was about hygiene. And in the hygiene one, it explained that we should keep our fingernails clean and trimmed in that. And it said, the next slide said, never use a knife to clean your fingernails. And as we were watching this film strip, because, you know, there would be a little tape and you'd put it in the machine, and then one of the kids would get to run the film projector, you know, and remember doing that, you know, and to each slide. And, and our teacher would sit up front 
with his knife (laughs) and clean his fingernails. And I can remember, that's the only thing I remember about that class. (laughs) He he was ineffectual in teaching health. (laughs) Because knowledge wasn't affecting practice. But I can still remember him sitting at his desk. You know, while we're watching a film strip, I'm not doing it. Our kids, our grandkids, our neighbors are watching our faith. And occasionally what they see doesn't help them want to have it. Because it's not magnifying the Lord. So we want living that is effectual. It goes on and says this, Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. See, a lot of these qualities, if you go back to the list, they're about relationships, aren't they? They're about how we treat other people. And if our relationship with the Lord doesn't affect how we treat and live, then we weren't really seeing it, were we? We were blind. And and this is a scary thing. Uh, (laughs) Spiritual blindness is scary. Do you know why? Because you can't tell it, usually. Do you know how you tell you're spiritually blind? Your kids tell you. Your neighbor tells you. Your loving friend tells you. You know, if you're physically blind, you usually know because at some point, there are marks on your face, okay? Because you ran into a wall, right? There, there's a bruise. There's a mark. Spiritual blindness is scary. But if we don't increase in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, if you, if you can't say, I, do, I know Jesus better this year than I did last year, that's not good. That means that you are allowing yourself to fall into spiritual blindness. Now, if you were dealing with physical blindness and you knew there was some way that you could stop it or change it, you would. You know? Um, I, I watched my pastor in Florida get a detached retina. And because he wanted to see, he was willing to sit in a little padded box with his face a certain direction so a bubble would hold the part that, that was supposed to be reattaching. They put a bubble, gas bubble, in his eye and, and place it right near where they were trying to press that retina back into place. And he would sit for days doing that. Why? Because he wanted to see. I fear that sometimes in our blindness we don't care if we see spiritually. But it helps us see. Living gives us security. It says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent in making your calling and election sure. And if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way there will be rich... You. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As we watch God make us and help us make more and more right choices, that gain, we gain confidence in our faith. When, when we are sinning, 
And when we're not living a repentant life and when we're walking away from the Lord, sometimes we wonder, I wonder if I'm saved. Have you ever had that conversation with yourself? I wonder if you, I, I don't know how I can act like this and even be saved. But as we watch God give us this ability to partake in His divine knowledge and as we experience His divine power, we become more and more confident in the faith that He's already given us and the faith that increases in us. Eternal security isn't just an idea on paper. It's something that we practice as we are reminded that we are no longer what we once were and we are something else. I think that's why we love the song we just sang so much. Because some of us remember some of the slavery that we had to sin and to our attitudes and some of the things. And to no longer be a slave because we are a child of God is a wonderful thing. Knowing and living establishes. Therefore, I am intent always to remind you of these qualities, though you might know them and are established in the truth that you have. In other words, he's saying, these are so important that I have no problem reminding you again of them. I don't think Peter was concerned about being a nag. Uh, I, I think that he was so forgiven that he wanted to make sure everybody else understood how forgiven they were you know we've we've read about his life this is a guy that denied jesus christ while he was on the cross but he was restored by jesus christ and he knew how great god's forgiveness was and he knew how great his god was And he didn't want anybody to have any less than the best idea of who God was. He had no problem. This is the last thing. You know, Peter, what's the last thing you want to say to the churches in Asia Meyer before you die? I want to say to them that they need to remember how great God is. I want to say to them how, how great it is that we get to be divine. We get to be part. When I read that line, I underlined it. I am a partaker in the divine. I, I want them to understand that, that they can be fruitful and they can, they can grow and they don't have to be blind anymore. I was once was blind, but that's right there in Amazing Grace, isn't it? But now I see. And so he had this passion. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that I am putting away my body, will be soon as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. He knew how he was going to die. He knew what was going to take place. And instead of going, oh, I want to be a martyr. And I, would just, I wanted to know my grandkids better. And, and you know, I, I've served the Lord really hard. Why can't I be like Enoch and just be taken up? You know. He had this deep knowledge. And he considered it a privilege to suffer like his Lord suffered. But even in his death, he was like, oh, no, no, no. Don't crucify me like Jesus. I, I, I can't. That's too precious. I will make every effort 
so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to know God. Okay? And then we need to ask this question. How does knowing God change how I live? When I was dating Nancy, her best friend's name was Karen. There's another whole story that goes with that. But I would sit down with Karen every couple months because I was falling in love with Nancy. And I'd go, so, Karen, give me the inside, inside track. What does Nancy like and what does Nancy not like? She goes, well, she doesn't like it when, shuffle, when people shuffle their feet. Noted. She doesn't like this kind of food. Never taking her to that kind of restaurant. As I grew in the knowledge of Nancy, I loved her better. Right? And my goal was winning here, you know? Guys are hunter-gatherers. It's not like we want to date for a while and then move on. I, I was in the hunter-gather stage, and I, I wanted to win. And so every couple months, I'd sit down with Karen again and say, anything else I need to know? Because I wanted to make sure that I was doing everything possible to have the very best relationship I could with Nancy. That's what God's asking us to do with him. That's what Peter's saying here, okay? I want you to do everything you can to have the best idea of who God is. Think about some of the ideas that you used to have, you used to have about God that were kind of naive, and then some of them maybe were even wrong. But as you are growing in your faith, all of a sudden you'll, you'll never think about God that way again, right? Think about how that changes you. Because see, the bottom line is, is this is a relationship. And so God isn't calling us to live out a set of rules just because they're right and virtuous. God is calling us to live out a life that reflects a deep, loving relationship with Him. That's what God's calling us to. When I was a little kid, I, I used to love to eat toast, but I was very picky, and my mom would not make it right sometimes. Because you have to have butter on the whole thing, not just a little bit in the middle. Okay, And then when you put the peanut butter on, it has to go to all the edges. And I can remember complaining about it one day, and, and, uh, and my sister Tammy said to me, you'll never get married. You're too picky. Occasionally Nancy makes me a piece of peanut butter bread. And it doesn't always go to all the edges. And the butter doesn't do that. But I don't think Nancy's ever heard this story ever before today. Do you know Why? Because I love her so very much that my silly little rule was trumped by love. I don't know what God is trying to teach you or what you need to know, but the knowledge of knowing God can trump everything and help you live better than you ever have before so at the end of this first chapter peter gives two challenges first challenge is know god know him 
have a meaningful relationship with Him. And the second thing is, is live what you know. Live it. I've met a lot of people that have a lot of cool stuff, but it's obvious to me they've never used it. They know it, but they haven't lived it. And God is calling us to live it. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you would help us to grow in our relationship with you. I pray that 2020 would be a year that when we come to the end of the year, we really have the sense that we have a deeper understanding of our relationship with the Lord than ever before. But not only that, I pray that we would live more divine. That it would be seen in how we approach You as our God and trust You even in the smallest of things. And it also show up in our relationships with each other. That we would build into our lives and our relationships integrity, perseverance, kindness, love. Thank You for this passionate message from one of Your followers. May we learn from what he knew of you as well. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask the prayer counselors to come forward, and um, Jonathan's going to lead us in singing No Longer a Slave one more time as we close our service. And if there's some way that we can pray for you, we want to do that. And if you haven't begun your relationship with Jesus Christ, you haven't asked him to be your Savior yet, and and today's your day. I, I even encourage you to come forward and pray with one of the prayer counselors about beginning that relationship. Taking that first step of living by the courage. You know, virtue is moral courage to do the right thing. Maybe that's the moral courage that you need today. So let's all stand together. I'm going to ask the prayer counselors to come forward. Let's